So how did they do it? First of all, they wrote the Federal Reserve Act, which gave them the legal authority to issue money based on IOUs, in other words, which are debt. You, you don't really put up money to get the receipt. You put up a promise to pay it back to get your receipt. Now, that's, a promise to pay is not the same as an ounce of gold. It depends on your ability to pay. It depends on, on the ability and the integrity of the banker to give it to you because he's the middleman. Maybe the original borrower gives it to the bank. Say, you give it back to the guy that put up the gold or, or put up whatever, the property. And the banker says, yes, I'll do that. But if the banker reneges, you still don't get your gold. So you have this third-party risk when you have these promises to do that and, and contracts to do that. This is third-party risk, they call it. And that's where the problem creeps into the system, third-party risk. And uh, that's the short version. It may not mean much to the average person, but when you just to say it out loud, it sort of explains there's nothing really to back it other than the integrity and uh, honesty of the individuals involved. And even beyond that, you can have very, very uh, righteous people, very honest people, but if the system is rotten, it, it crumbles underneath them and they can't help themselves. They go down with it as well as you. So in, in a nutshell, to answer your question, what happens is that, let's say you go into the bank and you want to borrow, let's say you want to borrow $10,000. And the banker looks at you very sternly and he said, well, do you have any assets? Do you have any, have you any record of uh, being an honest borrower? And he's, you know, he's like, he's really concerned about you. You should be more concerned about him, but he puts on the act. He's concerned about your ability to repay this loan. Well, I can understand that because your ability to repay the loan is how he makes his living out of the repayment of the loan plus interest. And that's where the foul play begins to come in because you're willing to pay interest on money that's loaned to you. You presume that somebody had the money and they made a sacrifice by giving it to you instead of enjoying it themselves. And they want interest on that money. That seems fair. And I think it is fair. But when they didn't have any money to start off with, but they pretended to have money to start off with, you say, I want to borrow $10,000. And the banker will say, well, we can possibly arrange that. And then the borrower, let's just, I'm making this up as we go. Supposing you're the borrower and you say, well, you know, I read in the newspaper or read in this guy's book, Creature from Jekyll Island, that you don't really have any money here in the bank to lend. Is that true? Uh, well, it's not exactly true. It's the theory of banking is that he goes into blah, 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 blah. But in fact, it's true. The bank does not have the money that he's about to loan to you. But he's allowed by the law, which he wrote himself while they were on Jekyll Island and had these idiot congressmen pass it into law. They, they're allowed by law to loan at least the figures that started off with at least nine times more cash than they have. They can multiply their money by 10. And so they only need to keep, say, 10%. By the way, all that is, is gone by the wayside, too. They, I don't think they keep any reserves anymore. But for the longest time of its existence, the Federal Reserve did have a reserve requirement. They had to keep generally, depending on the type of bank and so forth, but generally about 10% had to be a real reserve. And that's why the, the system sometimes is called fractional reserve banking, because the reserve is just a fraction of what you think it should be. So they'll loan 10 times as much money as they have. And you think, well, how can you? Okay, so you don't really have this money, right? Well, no, yes, no, we do, but we don't. But, well, why should I pay interest on something that you don't have? You're, you're just printing this stuff out for me. And you say, well, 
we'll have you speak with our manager. And so it, they never want to talk about that. The, but that's the trick. They create money out of nothing, but it's backed by debt. So it's worse than nothing. It's a requirement that if they, let's say if a farmer hawks his farm to get $50,000 to pay for his, his uh, mother's operation or something, and you can't pay it back, even though the banker didn't loan him anything that he had, the banker gets the farm. The banker gets the farm. He gets the real asset in exchange for debt. Now, that's the whole system in a nutshell. That's how they do it. They get people into debt. They know that most of those people, or many of them, are not going to repay the debt. They really want them to repay the debt because they, all the interest is interest on nothing. Not a bad deal. If you can collect interest on nothing, you're in a good business. Now you're in the banking business. And that's, a, that's sort of an oversimplification of the process. But in principle, it is exactly correct. So that's how they do it. It's a scam. It's a big scam. You know, you brought up fractional reserve banking. And I was going to ask you, it sounds like that my dad, when I was growing up, my father would talk, tell me about the evils of fractional reserve banking, and which you just hit on. And so we don't, I guess that's exactly what it is. We don't really need to address that. If you would walk me back a little bit further, where did this come from? Did these guys make it up this system? Uh, when I say these guys, these conspirators or this cabal or a cartel, as you call it, did they make it up on Jekyll Island or did their, did the roots even go further back in America or even Europe? Well, it goes way, way back. It certainly goes way back to Europe. It goes back to the, to the bank of England. It was all of these, these gimmicks were borrowed pretty much from the Bank of England, which by this time was under the total influence of the Rothschild banking uh, dynasty. It appeared to be the Bank of England, but it was really the Bank of the Rothschilds. And that's another element to this story that makes it seem kind of weird, is that we think of these, these banks, which have the names of the United States or Bank of England, the Bank of France, and so we may, well, those are government banks, right? Well, maybe technically they are, but in reality, no, they're very private. They're, in the, they're controlled by people who are the managers and stockholders of private banks, and they form partnerships with government entities like Treasury Department and so forth, and they go into contracts, and through these, these partnership agreements, they become one. And if we think, well, the bankers on one side and, and the government politicians on the other side, it, no, it very quickly melds into one, one big club and they move back and forth. And that's hard for people to realize that we're really dealing with a, with a cartel that includes politicians and bankers, both. They work together for their mutual advantage. They, differ, they have different roles in the, in the scheme, in the game, but they work quite together for their mutual advantage. They, one alone cannot do all of the things that the two of them together can do because the bankers create, they're the brains of the thing. They create the mechanisms and they, the machinery that makes it work and the governments make it legal and require, they enforce it so that you and I have to obey it. So those two have to go together. Otherwise it falls apart. It's interesting to me. You said that this started in 1910 here in the States, if you would, or that's when they hatched the plan. And then World War II, or not World War II, but World War I started shortly after. And I guess my question is, that would be a great way to fund a war. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> it's the best way to fund a war. If you want to fight a war just for the sake of fighting right. a war, 
Now, that brings up a big question. Why do people fight wars? Well, nobody in their right mind, no citizen would ever want to start a war.